Hello, hello. This is Kathy Colas Audiobooks, and today we have episode four of Jim River Boy by M.J. Almer. Claire takes a look back at her childhood and starts to figure out why she is the way she is. As she continues to look back at the events of her life with Josie, Jacob reminds her to give herself some grace, even though in her heart she knows she doesn't deserve it. Here we go. A familiar feeling of dejection washed over Claire. You know, I found a $5 bill once, she explained to Jacob. I was probably nine, I suppose, and my dad and I went to the grocery store alone one time. It was on the ground in the parking lot, and I remember how excited I was to find it, because back then, $5 was a lot of money. I picked it up and was going to show my dad. Looking off in the distance, she fell quiet for a moment, remembering. He grabbed it out of my hand and threw it back on the ground, telling me, well, yelling at me, actually, saying how disgusting it was and how many dirty people had touched it or stepped on it and God knows where it had been, he said. He was so mad he made me wash my hands with bleach when we got home. She looked down at Jacob, a tear in her eye. He called me a stupid kid. But lesson learned. She made a checkmark motion with her finger in the air. I sure never picked any money up off the ground again. Or looked at my dad the same way. I wonder how different my life would have been had my folks been more loving and encouraging, rather than dismissive, distant. Her mother, Eleanor, was loving in her own way, in a proper way, the way a proper 1950s wife and mother should be. Every morning before Claire or her brothers would awaken, their mother was dressed to perfection in a skirt and blouse, not a hair out of place. Makeup applied just enough to enhance her natural beauty. Breakfast was always on the table, hot and ready for the growing children, but Eleanor wouldn't greet them with a joyful, good morning, or how'd you sleep, but rather remind them daily to sit nice, don't take too much, their father had yet to eat, and he would get the largest portion. Funny, I don't remember seeing my mother eat breakfast. Was she just the cook and waitress? allowing the rest of us to take advantage of her generosity? The thought saddened Claire. Why didn't I ever notice that? The rest of their mornings were usually the same. Her father would enter the room, and any mindless chit-chat from the children was ceased as he proceeded to clear the rest of the breakfast food from the dishes, consume it at record speed, grab his jacket, briefcase, and keys from the foyer, and leave for work. No looking back. No goodbye kisses or well wishes for the day. Then her mother would clear the table and remind the kids to make sure they had what was needed for school and state how many minutes they had before the school bus arrived at the corner, two blocks away. She usually told them to have a good day or behave or listen to their teachers or some other phrase that a proper mother should say to her children. No usual I love yous or hugs, though. Their home was mostly filled with distance. Claire's thoughts were interrupted as the space around them dipped to black momentarily, reappeared later that same day at her acreage when the sun hung low in the western sky. 
Claire's flannel shirt and jeans were smudged with dirt, her boots covered in spring mud. A small twig caught itself in her hair, begging to be retrieved and returned to its home on the ground. And Josie, with her mind desiring to wander, forced her body to work diligently alongside her mother. Her dirty clothes, a mirror reflection of her mother's. Mom, I was wondering if any of these trees are big enough to build a tree fort in. No, she didn't even look up from her work. I mean, the trees are big enough, but we don't have any extra wood or a way to get them into a tree to build anything. Besides, it's too dangerous to be playing that high. Oh, okay. She relented to her mother's excuse. Then, a few minutes later, So, could I maybe have a fort out here in the trees on the ground? She motioned to the thick grove. Or in one of the barns, like a secret place, just for me. She offered, timidly, the expectation of rejection clear in her voice. I'll take care of it. Claire let out a sigh of frustration. Josie, you can barely keep your room clean, and you think you need another place to take care of? Okay, Mom. Sorry. She picked up her bucket and deposited the contents into the pickup bed before walking behind the house. Claire and Jacob followed Josie, where they witnessed her fall to her knees and break down in tears. Shoulders slumped forward, her little body shaking under the weight of her mother's painful and repeated rejections. Jacob looked up at Claire, whose face was colorless and forlorn. Her clenched fists grasped her hair, and she lowered her head in shame. All these years of hardly speaking to her daughter because of one incident, or so she thought, when in reality it had been a lifetime of smaller incidents such as this. Expectations too high for a child who just wanted to enjoy life. Disregard from a mother who was too tired to be considerate of a developing mind, a tender heart. Hindsight so clear, and she could see now how heartless she was toward her child. Josie deserved better than that. Josie so full of love for animals and nature, so willing to help and learn, but who also got distracted by pretty rocks and squirrels and fluffy clouds, whose laugh could make the birds sing louder. She deserved, at the very least, a mother who let her enjoy those things, if not a mother who participated and encouraged her lighthearted zest for life. I was pretty dumb, huh? Claire said, shaking her head. She just wanted something to call her own, and I wouldn't even slow down for that. The In-Between Place Claire could still hear Josie's sobs, but she kept her head bowed and eyes closed tightly, avoiding the sight and protecting herself. I was the only one she had, and I treated her like a nuisance, a hindrance. I'm so impatient, she whispered. Can't even be nice to my own kid, just like my dad. Yes, you should have been kinder and more loving. When we interact with other people, we should treat them with kindness, patience, humility, and compassion, so we can be more like Christ and follow his example. That's how we show love to others. God has been very kind and loving towards us, and 
even though we're all sinners and we're supposed to do the same thing to other people. It's just one way we can show God how much we appreciate all that he's done for us. He touched her arm to get her attention. But you also have to give yourself grace. Remember, you were a child trying to raise a child, a teenager with an infant. You're not perfect, and you didn't have all the right answers. You had to discover them as you went along. Claire nodded, remembering how difficult it had been to move to South Dakota with a toddler, find work and child care, make ends meet, and all before she was 20 years old. She had been overwhelmed with grief and depression, and most days it was all she could do to function without crying constantly. Still, it didn't excuse her behavior toward Josie. She didn't need the boy to tell her that. The convictions of her heart were enough. Did you have anyone to help you after Alan died? Let me guess. God told you about him, too? She managed a half-smile for Jacob, even though she tensed up, hating the idea of opening old wounds. But here, in this in-between place, it seemed okay, even safe. Yep, he nodded. Claire shook her head, remembering her husband all those years ago. His handsome face, warm smile, and deep brown eyes. If she closed her eyes she could still feel his strong arms around her. He gave the best hugs, not letting go until she was ready. She hadn't had a good hug since then. She sat down on the soft grass and tipped her head back to take in the warm sunlight. From the time we met, he was the only friend I had. I neglected my high school friends so I could be with him. Then when he went back to the Navy a few months later, my friends avoided me because I was pregnant. Let me tell you, that doesn't go over well in a private Catholic school. No one wanted to be associated with me. She laughed despite the painful memories. Want to tell me about it? Claire wondered how this boy, this child, could comprehend adult issues. But then again, he claimed God told him things, so perhaps he was far wiser than his years. She sat forward, wrapping her arms around her knees. I was 17, a senior in high school. He was 20 and had been in the Navy for a couple of years already when we met at our annual fall church festival. He was there with his cousin, who was a friend of mine from school. Jacob listened intently, sitting cross-legged, elbows resting on his knees, chin in hand. He had a broken arm, she indicated to her right forearm from a training exercise, so he was on leave till that healed up. We got to talking, hit it off, and were inseparable from then on. Did your folks like him? She laughed. They never met him because I wasn't serious about him. I just wanted... Jacob looked at her, cocking his head to the side. Blushing and having to admit this to a child, she continued. Sex. Our relationship was based on sex from my perspective at least, and since my folks were staunch Catholics who harshly frowned upon such activities, I lied to them and snuck around behind their backs to see Alan. I just figured once he returned to active duty, I'd go back to my normal life. I'd finish high school, go to college in Boston like I wanted to, and get on with my career as a famous architect. 
She grinned at the memory of how determined she was to make it big in a big city. She looked at Jacob with a twinkle in her eye. I wanted to design skyscrapers and travel the world. I wanted to get out of small-town nowhere Nebraska and away from my parents. But, he prodded, but I got pregnant with Josie. Silence fell for a long minute. Even the usually chattery birds seemed to wait with anticipation at the story unfolding before them. Well, I was mad. Really, really mad. I didn't necessarily love Alan back then, you know. He was a nice guy and all, but I didn't want a guy or a kid to ruin my career plans. A deep breath cleared her head enough to keep going. Funny how admitting this to the boy didn't seem to bother her. It felt good. Calming. I told Alan about the baby over the phone and told him I wanted to get an abortion. He freaked out and told me I couldn't do that, that he loved me and would marry me and we'd make a real good life together. She shook her head in disbelief. He said adoption was out of the question, too. Said he didn't want to live the rest of his life not knowing where his child was and if it was okay and safe and happy. She closed her eyes and took several deep breaths to fend off the tears before continuing. So? Going back a little further, you gotta understand that my father wasn't a loving man. He worked long hours at his law firm and wasn't home much. Didn't really spend time with us kids, let alone tell me that he loved me or that I was good enough or that I was pretty or anything like that. But Alan told me all those things and, well, tears welled up in her eyes. I believed him. I had longed for a man to make me feel important my whole life. And there it was, finally. And I thought if I didn't take advantage of the situation, I may not ever find another guy that said those things to me. So I told myself that if I didn't love him now, that I would soon enough, and it'd all be okay, even if we had a kid, because love can overcome anything. She chuckled softly. At least that's what young girls are led to believe. He told me there were colleges in Arizona where he was stationed, that I could take architecture classes and the military would pay for it. He wanted to see me reach my goals in life, even with a baby at home. So I told my parents about the pregnancy, hoping that maybe they'd accept it. But no, they freaked out. Laughing at the painful memory after all these years was the only thing Claire knew to do, considering how things turned out. They kicked me out of the house and disowned me when I told them I was keeping the baby and marrying Alan. My father said that any pregnancy outside of marriage was an abomination to the Lord and I'd burn in hell for my actions. She lowered her voice to imitate her father's final farewell speech to his only daughter. Jacob closed his eyes as if in prayer and reached out to hold Claire's hand. She held it tight for a few moments. I packed my things, called Alan, and he had his dad come to our house to get me. Then I went to live with Alan's parents until I was done with high school a few months later. The day I left my house, my two younger brothers were crying, and my father told them to shut up and go in the house if they couldn't control themselves. A series of tears slipped down her cheeks. 
They were just ten and thirteen at the time. I haven't seen them since, she whispered, emotion gripping her heart. Jacob squeezed her hand and let the moment rest a bit before continuing. Was your mother sad? Yeah, I think so. I mean, she had tears in her eyes but wasn't allowed to hug me or speak. My father stood between her and I and made sure of that. I looked her in the eye and told her that I was sorry and that I loved her so much, and I saw her nod her head. My dad told me he was ashamed of me and that I was weak for giving in to temptation. Then they turned and left me there on the side of the street. With her thumb, she rubbed the boy's small hand, the hand that resembled her little brother's from so long ago. The ache in her heart caused her physical pain at the memory of those boys she left behind. I tried to call our house a few times after that when I got to Arizona and talked to my brothers for a few minutes. I told them I was doing really good and I loved them and to behave. And then I got my father on the phone the second time I called and he hung up on me when he heard my voice. After that, they must have changed their phone number because... I never could reach them again. That's sad. Must have been very hard for you to be away from your family. Tears now rolled freely down her cheeks. Yeah, but that was the price I paid for my mistakes. Was Josie a mistake? I mean, after she was born and all. Claire laughed again at the loaded question. Oh my gosh. You're just a kid. Are you sure you want to talk about this stuff? I think you need to talk about this stuff, came the soft reply. Wow. Claire sighed deeply, knowing the boy was right. Again. No, not at first, because I had Alan there, and even though he was busy with work, we still had most evenings and weekends to bond with each other and the baby and make some great memories together. And I did fall in love with him, she whispered, deeply. He was my best friend and treated me like a queen, always attentive and complimenting me. Such a wonderful father, too. My goodness, he adored his daughter. She paused to wipe tears from her cheeks. But then he was sent to Vietnam and... She couldn't continue. Saying it out loud was still too painful. He died, said Jacob. She nodded, recalling the day a priest and naval officer rang the doorbell and informed her Alan wouldn't be coming home. That was in March of 1975, shortly before the war ended. Josie was 16 months old and herself just 19 when her world collapsed around her. I didn't know anything about raising a kid by myself, and I didn't really have any friends down there just a couple of other military wives that lived near us. I wasn't allowed to stay on base after he was gone, so I called Alan's parents, and they took us in for a few months after his funeral. So how'd you end up in South Dakota? Brett, Alan's good friend from high school, lived up here with his wife and kids, and I saw them at the funeral in Omaha. He told me he owned a little acreage down by the river that no one lived in, Said if I wanted to fix it up, I could live there rent-free for the first year. Then maybe buy it if I decided to stay in the state. So that's what we did. Didn't you want to stay by Josie's grandparents? 
She shook her head. No, I didn't feel I could stay in Omaha. Not knowing it had been Alan's old stomping grounds and the place we first met. Or knowing that my family was probably still there and most likely still hated me. Too many memories were haunting me, so I moved us north and told Alan's folks where we were so they could visit, which they did several times a year when Josie was in high school. And then we started rebuilding our lives. Wow, he said. Yeah, pretty wild, huh? Jacob nodded. I've always heard that God never gives us more than we can handle, but that sure didn't seem like the case back then. That's incorrect, actually. He looked at Claire and quickly continued before her defenses flared. We live in a fallen world, and so much of life is more than we can handle. That's where Jesus comes in. He wants to carry the burdens for us, to be our strength and shield. That's faith. By ourselves, it's difficult, sometimes even impossible, but it's easy for Jesus. We just have to surrender to him. She let out a long sigh as the realization that total personal responsibility for carrying the weight of her world fell off her shoulders. Yeah, I should have known that, she whispered. All those years in church never taught me that lesson. I still felt obligated to do it all myself, and I felt God was being unfair with me. The young boy was quiet for a while. So, if you didn't rely on God, then how did you deal with all of it? Work and church. She chuckled despite herself. But seriously, I worked. A lot. Too much, really, because I was gone most of the time. She absentmindedly twirled a strand of grass around her finger then untwirled it, reluctant to pluck such a perfect specimen from the lush ground. I loved Josie, of course, but after Alan died, I was so consumed with myself and grieving and just trying to survive as a single mom that I saw her as a weight on my shoulders, just another obligation and burden to deal with alone. She looked thoughtful for a moment as the realization of the truth hit her. No wonder I treated her like a nuisance if that's how I felt about her in my mind. She dropped her head into her hands and choked back a sob. She still turned out really good, Jacob said, trying to point out the silver lining. Because God was there with her even when you weren't. And God was working in her life and yours through those circumstances. He touched her arm, causing her to look at his innocent face. This time, Claire shrugged. I don't know. I guess she was a good kid. She never gave me any trouble, but then I truthfully hadn't paid much attention for so many years because of my work schedule and volunteer obligations. And then after the, the incident, she left for college and we lost touch almost completely. Claire's gut twisted, knowing she was the one that lost touch. It was no fault of Josie's or lack of attempting to maintain a relationship. Would you like to see her during those years? Claire nodded excitedly. I think you'll like this. And there you have it. Don't forget, on Monday we have episode 5 of Freeze Before Burning by Nikki Stern. If you want to hear some more of my books, I've got free promo codes. Send me an email 
at kathycolas at gmail.com. C-A-T-H-I-C-O-L-A-S at gmail.com. For all of you authors out there looking to turn your novels into an audiobook, hit me up. Let's talk. Email me at kathycolas at gmail.com. You can also check out my website, kathycolas.com. And if you like the podcast, please leave a review or share it on social media or do both. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you on Monday.